Hello and welcome to another episode of Thank Zuckets Friday, the IT news podcast from computing. Once again, I'm Stuart Sumner and I'm delighted to be joined as usual by Tom Allen and John Leonard. Okay, let's go into the uh, first section of the program, the uh, section we like to call uh, forced banter. Uh, Tom, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, apart from trying to distract you while you're doing your opening. Yes, I noticed um, that. Yeah, you did. Good. Uh, I have been, because we've all been stuck inside still, um, I've decided to take on a real hard uh, task, something that's going to take me a very long time, um, really nose to the grindstone, and I'm watching all of the Marvel films. Uh, all of them? Not, not back to back, but there's, well, there's like 30. Is this just the ones in the expanded universe, the MCU, the sort of yeah, latest storyline? MCU, story starting line. with Iron Man and ending with Avengers Endgame. Yeah, that's quite an undertaking. That is quite an undertaking. Yeah, we're, yeah. Uh, we're up to Ant-Man now. What, what number uh, is that in the list? The, the end of phase two. Okay. How many films is that in, though? I mean, how, how many have you got through? Uh, ten. Okay, about a third of the way through. And have you, have you seen them all before? Yes, so it's, but my it's girlfriend hasn't. She's seen most of them, but not all of them. So you're watching it with through her fresh eyes. Yes. You could say. And Although, unfortunately, it... she doesn't enjoy Ant-Man, so we're only halfway through that. I thought you were going to say, unfortunately, she's, she's not enjoying any of it. So you're just <laughs> forcing, forcing her to watch all of them. I wouldn't if I were going to force her to watch no, any wouldn't. film, I think the MCU are pretty good ones. They're good yeah. films. They are. They're, they're, by and large, by and large, they are. I like the way that um, whenever you and I talk about anything like computer games or these sorts of films, it's all stuff that John would just rather die than be involved with in the slightest. This uh, is my uh, role in these podcasts, though. You know, to be the be the curmudgeon. Is this your personal help? the curmudgeon, the personal, yeah, the uh, yeah. So I guess so, what are you up to this week? I guess you haven't been watching Marvel films. <clears throat> Absolutely not. No, never would. Um, actually, just to keep up with Tom, because he had his couple of weeks ago, I had my first jab last week. Um, any, any, any ill effects? No, no. Um, it was a slightly Kafkaesque affair, though, because um, we went, we got uh, directed to the wrong room, I think, one for people with underlying health conditions. Um, but rather than direct us to the right room or just to go, ah, oh, ha, ha. Yeah, you gotta have the jab anyway. Made a mistake. The nurse, yeah. the nurse insisted that since we were in this room, we must have some underlying health conditions. And that's quite so catch twenty two. <laughs> yeah, you is. must have yeah, one. So You're so in this room, therefore you must have thing. one. Yeah, that, that's that, that's exactly how it felt. It was it was, it was rather strange. I was I was scowling behind my mask, but hopefully my eyes were uh, smiling. Yeah. So she, she went through this list of things that we might possibly have. None of which we actually did. Well, so she was trying to convince you you have an underlying health condition. Yes, yeah, because I was in this room, I must have an underlying health condition. Brilliant. So eventually I told her that about 30 years ago I had bronchitis and her eyes lit up and she said, ah, see, I told you so. So, it <laughs> so was she all... was right all along. <laughs> yeah, it was, all, it was all sort of mighty peculiar. Um, yeah. But the jab itself was, was painless and no side effects so far. But Excellent. Space. No blood clots. No, no, but it, it was the AstraZeneca one, so... Uh, we'll see. Watch this okay. space, indeed. Check yeah. back next week. Well... Yeah, or possibly not. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> very little has happened to me this week. Um, one thing I just want to sort of... I want to paint a picture for the audience, actually, because um, one thing that has happened to me, um, not just this week, but in the last um, uh, three minutes, is what happens... Um, uh, this is for the audience. When I, um, when I read out my intro, 
Uh, my co-hosts here, John and Tom, uh, started this last week, and I'm delighted to see they've continued through this week. Is pull lots of faces at me through the um, through the video uh, we have here because we also um, we're recording this on audio, obviously, but we have video up as well, so we, we can see each other. Look, you know, look for visual cues, see when someone else wants to speak. I don't know why we bother because we talk over each other all the time anyway. But um, but yeah, but the, the the guys use this as an opportunity to pull faces at me when I'm trying to do my intro. So um, thanks for that. I'm glad to see that's now become a tradition rather than just a one-off last week. Um, so that's that's my thing that happened to me this week. Um, we're adults. Yeah, <laughs> te technically. Technically, we're adults. Okay, we're going to dive in, uh, shockingly, to some I IT news now. Um, that is, after all, the podcast. And uh, egotistically enough, I'm going to start with me. Um, my story um, is quite a big one. It's about... Um, uh, the PAC report, the Public Accounts Committee report released this week, um, basically describing the Home Office's IT border projects as a litany of failures. Um, strong words, but not unjustified, as we're about to find out. Um, so they issued a warning about the costs of the failed, various failed UK border IT projects, uh, blaming a raft of things from a lack of effective management, uh, leadership, uh, oversight in the Home Office, all things we've seen before countless times with uh, large public sector programmes. Um, and they said uh, that delays to the new, so the, the, the spe specific program um, they're talking about in this, this case was the new digital services at the border, Snappy, uh, DSAB program. So far, they say it's cost £173 million, which interestingly is exactly the cost that the, the NAO, the National Audit Office, um, warned about last year, warned it would go over by that much um, last year. Um, the uh, report states that the Home Office had a poor record of launching immensely expensive IT projects that failed to deliver, I'm quoting this, failed to deliver for the taxpayer, characterizing them um, as a litany of failures. Um, and the Home Office re responded to say the problems were, you know, just they're all historical. They've been fixed. It's all of the past. Um, which you can make of that what you will. But earlier this year, Matthew Rycroft, he's the Home Office's permanent secretary, agreed that the £173 million was a huge amount of money. Great for him to just set the scene there and uh, admit that, yes, that's quite a lot of money, not just a bit of loose change. Um, he claimed that the Home Office was doing everything it could to avoid that figure uh, going up any further. So there's our litany of failures. Uh, quite a big story. I seem to remember covering this about a decade ago. Um, is this yes. one of those very, very long-running government IT projects, you know, which uh, has still failed to deliver? Um, how, how far does this go back? Well, it, it's a bit like, um, you remember the old uh, NPFIT programme for the NHS um, yeah, uh, many, many years ago. They just went on and on and on and on, delivered, continues to deliver nothing and cost more and more um, over and over again, which was um, kind of a, kind of crazy. So this so the this eBorders programme was first launched uh, way back in, have a guess, quite a long time ago. Let's, let's, see, what you, let's see what you got. I'm what thinking Tony launched? Blair. I'm pretty sure it was Tony Blair. So give me a year of 2010. Uh, Tom, what do you think? Give me a, a wild guess. I'm going to say it's earlier uh, than that. Uh, earlier, okay. Yeah. Uh, 2005. You are very close. Uh, it first launched in 2003, uh, so well done them. And the plan was that it was going to, be, going to be complete by 2011, which is probably what John's remembering. Uh, there were repeated delays, of course, and the department announced that the new, what I've termed the DSAB program, it was announced in 2014, um, and it was supposed to um, uh, achieve its objectives uh, by uh, March 2019. Um, and that program is meant to replace the legacy warnings index and semaphore systems with three new systems, border crossing, advanced border control and advanced freight targeting capability, um, aiming to provide UK border officials with better information to make decisions about people and goods, of course, entering and exiting the UK. Um, but it's just, you know, it's gone on and on. And in 2019, the department announced it was resetting the program, pushing delivery back to the end of March 2022. Um, and just, I mean, you know, they've spent millions on border IT systems in the past 10 years. 
but workers are still using basically outdated technology to decide whether or not an individual can be allowed to enter the UK, a pretty charged subject, especially in recent years. And that's just that's something else from the PAC report. It's quite a good con, isn't it? That uh, if you go over over time and over budget, then you could just reset it and say, yep, no, we're going to complete it in three years time now. That's the beauty of big public sector IT projects, it seems. Yeah. So you said there are three three new systems and they're replacing two existing systems. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, is any part of, of those three systems in use yet? So there is, there is um, the new border crossing system is, is partly available. So it's currently in use at seven different locations. Um, and uh, with there's 300, apparently 300 frontline users currently using it. Um, but uh, I mean, it's, that's supposed to go up to 7,000 and in 56 locations. Well, the, the original target was um, 7,000 users at 56 locations by June. Um, I'm gonna stick my neck out and say that's unlikely. Um, given that we're currently at there, yeah. uh, 300 users in seven locations. So um, basically, it's um, uh, it's another great example of a huge, unwieldy, unsustainable um, public sector IT program that's been badly run and gone wildly over budget, wildly under-delivered and uh, wildly overscheduled. And we, you know, we've seen this time and time and time again. And I've got every expectation we'll continue to see it time and time and time again until there's a massive systemic and cultural change, uh, which won't happen. <laughs> Um, bit of soapboxing at the end there. Apologies for that. Uh, let's move on to the next story. Um, uh, what have you got for us? Who's up next? Is it John? Uh, it's me. You it's you. On, okay, on Tom, go notes. for it. Yeah. Uh, so I've got one that's tangentially related to yours, Stuart, which is probably why you put me next to the notes, uh, in that it's also about government IT failures. So awesome. your, uh, your pet project. Um, this time, though, they're at the Ministry of Defence instead of the Home Office. So it turns out that working for the MOD doesn't confer or possibly doesn't require any particular cyber skill set. Um, a report that's just come out, uh, uh, seen by Sky News, or, or uh, documents that have come out seen by Sky News, I should say, uh, shows that there were more than 150 security incidents last year at the MOD, which is more than double those seen in 2019. Uh, and some of them came down to things as basic as employees and contractors sending data, and I'll, I'll remind you that's military and defense data to their personal email addresses. Um, that's, that's pretty great, isn't it? Now, quite, yeah. quite often, I mean, that's, that can often, that, that's just, you know, um, bad, bad practice. It's not sort of malicious. Um, and quite often the security incidents are caused by basic human error or, you know, um, humans just not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, was, were they all down to that sort of thing? Uh, a lot of them were, but not all of them. Of course, we don't have exact figures, um, but there were other incidents that covered phishing attacks, for example, uh, but there was also misguided infrastructure, and uh, in one incident, uh, even the sale of uh, missile containers. So that's a little bit worrying. Uh, what's really alarming for me, though, is this practice of sending data to personal email accounts. So depending on the content, uh, that could be a GDPR breach, uh, another company, uh, but when you're dealing with military secrets, the fallout, quite literally, could be much worse. Isn't all this just um, down to the pandemic, though? You know, suddenly everyone's working from home and it's the simplest, simpler thing. Probably, if you know, if you've got these lockdown laptops, which hopefully they're all using, it's sometimes simply just to get around it. Is that all part of it, too? I think that's actually a really good point, because um, only the other day I was thinking, you know, because I've been working from home, I've missold so many missile containers. It's just so easy to do, isn't it? <laughs> I wasn't yeah, thinking specifically the of the missile containers, but yeah, yeah. possibly the, uh, the personal email use. Though. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's impossible to say. I mean, 
the documents this come from, the, they're all very heavily redacted, but it certainly seems that the pandemic had uh, had influence on it, looking at the jump in incidents from 2019 to 2020. Um, pretty likely the pandemic played a part. We've covered hundreds of data breaches over the last year uh, on computing that stem from remote working. And a lot of them are because employees just don't realize how vulnerable they are outside that office firewall. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, awesome and also quite frightening. Um, brilliant. Thanks for that, Tom. John, what have you got for us? I got something awesome and actually quite uh, frightening as well. Brilliant. <clears throat> yeah, just for continuity's sake. Um, I'm actually going to go for two stories today. Um, controversial. Controversial, yeah, but put the pitchforks down, please. Um, the first one is about um, South and City College in Birmingham, which has been the latest victim of a major ransomware attack. And it's being forced to uh, shut its doors and revert to online only learning. And the, the college uh, principal tweeted, as if COVID wasn't enough, hackers have finally got through our system and taken down all our IT systems. A few weeks getting it all sorted and back up. You can sort of hear him sighing in that tweet there. Mm. <clears throat> and ransomware, of course, is a huge menace. Um, and the other story was this fascinating interview with a Russian hacker called Unknown, probably not his or her real name. Um, and it's a fascinating insight into the mentality of the ransomware gangs, which we sort of covered um, uh, basically on, on this one. Unknown is a member of the Revil gang, uh, which operates out of Russia. And indeed, Unknown said that the gang doesn't actually target businesses within Russia or the old Soviet Union for reasons of patriotism. Um, also, he told this Russian security expert and blogger Dmitry uh, Smilyanets, I hope I got that right, Dimitri. I doubt it. Not. Yeah, I very much <laughs> doubt it too. Um, but outside of Russia, uh, pretty much anyone is fair game. As always with these kind of stories, you know, the, the, the guy's anonymous and he's speaking on the dark web. It's really hard to know how much is actually true and how much is just bragging. Um, but Unknown says that his is a rags to riches story. So he's a very poor child, oh, I do love those. hungry, and now he's become a millionaire. You know, you can imagine him covered in gold, driving a, a Lambo. A true and this is romance all... tale there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is all through a decade of extortion via ransomware. And he says, I just love doing it and I love making a profit from it, which I suppose uh, is on That's what, a heartwarming tale. Disney exactly, will be making yeah. a film of this at any moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is going to be on. I was, I was about to cynically on, and sarcastically say, I'd, I can't wait to see this on Netflix. Actually, it does sound quite good. It probably would be quite entertaining. Yeah, um, I, um, I, did, I've been using he. I've been using he, but that may not be true. But so, unknown, if I got it wrong, I'm sorry, but that's the price of an Just get in touch, uh, computing.co.uk. <laughs> we'll be happy to give you an interview. Yeah, we'll give you, uh, we'll give you Tom's personal email address as well. Oh, oh, yes, good. <laughs> uh, I'm not entirely comfortable giving a Russian hacker anything to do with me, actually. No. Um, did, uh, did unknown say how he or she does it? Well, to a point, I mean, they obviously weren't giving everything away because uh, that's their business. Um, but one thing he said, uh, which is very interesting, was that the gang actually hacks insurers to find out which customers have cyber insurance. 
and then the gang goes after those particular firms later on after it's done all that it returns to the insurance company and does that one over as well just for good measure brilliant that, that's in a way that's quite that's quite responsible that's quite ethical you know i'm, I'm only going to attack people who, who have insurance just so that they're not completely screwed you know they're, they're, they're insured they'll be right the insurance company less so it's not so good for them uh, i don't but, think it's uh, yeah i don't think it's really quite so ethical it's that um insurance companies will generally pay up if they if they pitch the level of the ransom right so you're saying it's he's not easier doing for the insurance companies to uh he may be i mean the the wording he, he uses is quite interesting because he he describes um relieving companies of their cash as helping them um this may of course be the sort of russian translation but uh, <laughs> I, th I thought it was quite interesting wording anyway um and says that his gang's actually been helping lots of pharmaceutical companies during the pandemic because he sees them as by um, helping he means stealing from well yes exactly yeah right um but, I'm actually. Uh, I've got. I've got my that, doubts that he's got the world's best interests at heart. Actually, uh, he may be right there, Stuart. Yeah. Um, rather disturbing, though. He claims that his gang has hacked a missile launch system, a U.S. Navy cruiser, and a nuclear power plant, um, which is a little bit worrying. Although, fortunately, he says that starting a war will be bad for business, so he can't see. He can't see the gang doing that. Capitalism's really kicking off in Russia, isn't it? Yeah. From, from, from the former communist state they've come such a long way yeah you know it's, really uh, have. I, I, I see why you describe this story as awesome and terrifying um so so how likely is it that he's that he's able to you know if, if it, that he's really he really has hacked these these things because you know it's terrifying that if if he is able to or she is able to yeah again my guess is probably not um he, he he probably wouldn't tell this tell those sort of things to an interview if they had done it you know and a lot of this thing is is bragging rights really um it's, it's a highly competitive world you know the the, the uh world of, of cyber crime so my guess is probably not um he did have some interesting advice for ransom negotiators though um which is basically to play nice so when they make a demand let's say they ask for a hundred thousand dollars don't immediately drop to fifteen thousand dollars because if you do do that, he says, it will we'll publish your stolen secrets and then we'll raise our demand another 20 grand, you know, so it'll be 120. And if you don't, if you come in with another silly response, then the same thing will happen again. Um, and he also spoke about how he loves to kill companies. That's the words used using DDoS attacks. So it's real sort of proper gangland stuff, you know, and uh, a little bit scary. Yeah. Basically, um, with no empathy or conscience. No, he, he doesn't really care about, um, you know, about the end results of his actions. Uh, he seems to relish in the fact he's causing havoc, to be honest. It's quite, quite terrifying. But I, I imagine that's not uncommon in those circles, especially for someone that's, you know, uh, probably come from, as he said himself, or claimed himself quite humble roots. Um, why would you, why would, you know, you'd probably see other, cap other capitalist countries or richer countries as, um, as evil in their own ways anyway. So you wouldn't worry about it. It's, it's, I imagine that's quite an endemic um, attitude. I think that's very much. I think that's 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 very much the the mindset, yes. And then mm, mix up with the with the with the sort of nationalism bit as well. You know, he probably yeah. feels he's doing something for his country. But when so. he says, um, you know, everyone else is fair game, but he also sees himself as doing people a favour and some sort of honour amongst thieves. But you don't know how much he, that he is tongue in cheek. Exactly, and he hasn't ruled out hitting healthcare organisations, has he? No, um, I don't know if this particular gang has actually. I, I don't know if it's one of the ones that has done that. I mean, some of some the gangs do actually it. do 
target healthcare organizations because they will have to pay up you know that they're, they're they're vulnerable and they have a lot of sensitive data so mm. that makes them good targets from that point of view um whether reveal's done that i'm not too sure mm. is it reveal or is it our evil i have no idea with all this ransomware stuff everything is impossible to know how to pronounce um so it's it's a real minefield going into one of these stories for for a, a, a podcast i did go onto youtube though and i found someone saying reveal so if it's, you did uh, you did you yeah. did the research so i did I, think, I did do the background research i think, I think our I evil is is, is, is a, is a is better name <laughs> I think it's an RE search as well. Definitely. I mean, there's so many words we've been getting wrong all this time. So thank you, Tom, for this, uh, this new understanding. Uh, that's wonderful. Um, well, I think that I'm probably now, I think I'm scared enough now to, um, to finish the podcast. I don't think we need to alarm uh, the audience any further. I think that's probably enough for one week. Um, yes, I'm going to be turning off my computer, unplugging my internet and sitting in a small dark room. Yeah, close the windows as well. You never know. Uh, be very careful. Awesome. Um, thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom and John, for your insights today. And thanks for listening. We'll be back once again next week with more. <laughs>